It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by John Cross of the Daily Mirror and by Miguel Delaney of the Independent. Now, if you listen to the number crunchers, the season's over before it's begun. Probability and all that. Thankfully, football is a game of flesh and blood. It's a tale of the unexpected. We're looking at all 20 Premier League clubs, starting with Arsenal. Now, John, you spent a couple of weeks in the States with them. Impressed? Yeah, uh, they had a good tour. And it was, um, I think it was, togetherness was good. The results were good. Performances were good. Watch out for Willock this season. Good young, good young player. But Koscielny went on strike, missed the tour. Everyone's going, sign a defender. You must sign a defender. This defence is a shambles. And every time Mustafi was on the pitch, by the way, including against uh, Bayern Munich, when he, when he completely lost Lewandowski in that, in that friendly and Lewandowski scores... Um, you know, you must get rid of Mustafi and, and get a defender. They go and spend £72 million, a club record, on Nicolas Pepe, who, you know, everything I hear and everyone I speak to say, you know, he's a terrific player, although, it ha- you know, it's a fairly short space of time, I have to say, but it, it, no doubt about it, he's going to be an exciting signing. But is he what they needed? I mean, that, that's, that is the biggest issue. And it is a strange turnaround on things, actually, because while we're out in the States, I was left in no no doubt at all that basically when, when stories first emerged from France about their interest in Pepe, that it wasn't something that Arsenal were looking at. They couldn't really afford it. And so basically it wasn't on their agenda. Now, fair play, if they've had a lot of pressure and kick back and, and sort of, the, the, you know, Josh Kroenke saying that basically, you know, we need to basically build a squad that's going to get back in the top four. If they've reacted to that, then fair play to them. But I do think that something sort of changed along the way. And Unai Emery was very clear, I need some new signings. But I just think that a lot of neutrals, away from the excited, you know, Arsenal fan, would say, what about the defence, though? Mm. And that's the biggest issue. And that is the key, isn't it? If, if they strengthen, yeah. fine. But if they don't, I'm not sure. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's basically, it's both a good window and a very bad window because they've got some really exciting signings. And yet they haven't addressed... The main issue, which is it's 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 remarkable actually, it's got to that, mm. and I think um, and and what is it two two seasons in a row now where they conceded fifty plus goals, you know, clear and obvious problems. Your your, your captain only adds to that. Mm. Um, I, I, I I'm kind of dumbfounded and yet also impressed, which is quite a weird kind of double think. Mm. Um, where does it leave Emery? 
Um, see, like this, this is an interesting one, I suppose, as well, in that, from, from what you hear as well, it feels like when he was first appointed, it, it felt like it was very much just another piece in this overall technical jigsaw. And like they, they all would have kind of, you know, shared out power. Where it feels in the last year, he's had, he's become more of a kind of a, a manager rather than a head coach in that way. That's some of these choices are specifically his. And also, I suppose, there's a sense that last season ended disappointingly, but because it's a first season after the massive historical upheaval of a long-serving manager who's a legend going, you get an element of a pass that now it feels much more like this is Emery's maybe first true season though, because he's he's had the team for a year. Now we have to see more of a return and more on him. Mm. I, I completely agree with that, and I also think it's worth noting, of course, Emery signed th- for a three-year contract, but in reality, it's two years because it's two plus one. He will be judged on what he does this season. Last season, I, he impressed me. He did better than I thought he would. And I thought with the squad he inherited, to get fifth, to get within a game of the Champions League place, not bad. But he'll be judged on this season, particularly when they made big signings. So it's make or break for Emery this season, I think. Yeah. Talking of signings, as we're doing this in alphabetical order, <laughs> Aston Villa, 12 new signings. How do you fit that jigsaw puzzle together quickly? Well, you'd hope it's not a Fulham situation. Mm. In that. But then Fulham felt if they, they went up with a certain style, then tried to change too much of it too quickly and, and never really kind of got going. I, the hope I'd have for Villa, I think, that they're a bit more maybe flexible in that regard and it's more about kind of just upping the quality. I'm, I'm actually kind of optimistic for Villa, d- d- despite everyone kind of fixating on those signings. And I don't think it's about that. I think there's maybe a bit more to them, I'd say. Yeah, I think, I think if there's one signing I want to highlight, I would say that's Tom Heaton. Yeah. I just think it's that, it's that glue that sometimes I think Fulham had so many different players from so many different nationalities, from so many different places, and asked them to kind of gel immediately. And I just don't think they kind of got the basics right yeah. with, with the kind of the defence. And it also and is, a great, is a great character in a dressing You talk Absolutely. to Sean about him. Actually, yeah. it was sad to see him go. Oh, of course. And, and I think he's a really good, you know, really good pro, by the way. Really good goalkeeper. I think it's good business, and I think that voice in that dressing room, I think, will be important. I think that I think Villa can have a really good season, but I think that sort of a couple of signings like him yeah. are really good business, and that's the difference between Villa this season and Fulham last, perhaps. Mm, and also, I suppose, looking at a broader context, you've got uh, you know Dean uh, Smith there, who is basically the sort of coach who the system militates against. You know, the mm-hmm. British coach who never really gets his chance. He's got his chance now. Yeah, and it's a bit of, there's been a bit of happenstance with Villa in general. And, uh, I don't want to say promoted by accident, but basically there's been a kind of a, a few happy coincidences along the way. It's got to, but, but it's why I think they're kind of, they're primed to take advantage of it. And maybe some of this is actually a bit of kind of a historic bias because you see Villa as a Premier League club, as, as, one, as one of the kind of, one of the great clubs of this country, as a few, one of the few to win a European Cup. But, yeah, I'm fairly confident for them. Mm -hmm. What about Bournemouth, John? Now, this is a critical season Mm. for them, it seems to me, that they're missing a key player, David Brooks, who's who's out for the first three months of the season. Um, They've got uh, Lloyd Kelly coming in, Jack Stacey from from the Championship to play at fullback. Is this the season we find out about Eddie Howe? Well, I'll be honest, I think I've already found out about Eddie Howe simply because he's guided Bournemouth through the divisions and then sustained Bournemouth as as a Premier League club. So I do think that's not in doubt. Where I think Bournemouth are slightly in doubt and open to question is their transfer dealings. 
And sometimes, they, listen, we shouldn't disguise the fact that they've spent a lot of money mm. o- over, the, over the course, particularly in the last couple of seasons. And you'd have to say that some of those deals haven't yeah. really worked, particularly I'm thinking the sort of big Liverpool recruitment. Yeah. You know, l- l- so Jordan I, Dominic Solanke, and, you know, I guess we need to judge Solanke in fairness to him on this season coming. And again, it's a, been a bit of a story... I think emanating from this summer in that they're basically they haven't signed huge signings, but they've signed around the sort of the twenty million mark and sort of consistently. So let's let's sort of judge them because I would say that the one thing the way Bournemouth are open to question this isn't necessarily Eddie Howe's fault. It is basically recruitment, mm. and I think that some of their recruitment just haven't li- hasn't lifted the club from being very nice. Thank you, thirteenth, fourteenth into kind of the next territory, which is the next step up. I think Bournemouth plays some of the best football, particularly at home, because it's fast, it's quick and exciting. Eddie Howe's outstanding manager. He's really good to watch. But what I want to see from Bournemouth this season is some of those recruitments really, really work and step up and then push Bournemouth up a level into very comfortable mid-table slightly eyeing, you know, the next step in the future. It's an interesting one because if you look at Huddersfield go down. Now, you can always gauge of how good that team is and is who gets yeah. cherry-picked from that team. Philip Billings gone to Bournemouth for £15 million, no one else. Should we gauge Bournemouth's status on that type of signing or the fact that they were able to get Callum Wilson to actually sign a new five-year contract? Yeah, I'd, t- I'd say that's more relevant. Um, and I think, I mean, ultimately, this is the thing that there's a, just such a good initial base at Bournemouth. It was ultimately centred around Eddie Howe. And in relation to that, in a pure football sense, one of the more interesting stories from the summer was this, that uh, Howe has been concentrating on how Diego Simeone defends, uh, which I suppose looks at maybe that's been perceived as one of Bournemouth's major flaws over the past few years. Maybe it's been a bit overplayed, but it's interesting that actually on a purely coaching level, he's been looking in to kind of shore this up. And yeah, I think that could be a good back. Again, I think Bournemouth would be fine to be kind of 10th to 12th. Or 10 to 14th, maybe. Okay, what about Brighton, John? You know, Graham Potter, who, you know, by common consent, is one of the brightest young coaches mm. and managers around. Has he been given a bit of a, or has he given himself a bit of a hospital pass here? <laughs> well, I think he has, in as much that I think he's taken over a very, very steady club, um, very well managed, very well looked after by, by Chris Hewton. Everyone knows about their second half of the season last season, and, and basically even Chris Hewton in, in, in more recent sort of interviews has basically said, you know, I'm conscious of the results and, and, mm. and you know, can see that's why. And I, I, I thought that was generous of him. Where I thought that Hewton was unlucky was that basically everyone could see that Brighton needed better signings and perhaps to go in a slightly different direction. The job of work that he did, I thought it was a shame that he wasn't given that opportunity himself. But Potter became known, I think, at Swansea for playing good, attractive football, developing young talent. And that is key to the different direction that Brighton want to go into. I was talking to someone who was at their game with Valencia on, on, on Saturday and they were sort of saying 3-4-3 three, three is, is the trademark model. It's very open, it's very fluid, it's very attacking, it's very attractive football. Again, they, they, they'd sort of kind of made their mark in signing those um, sort of players around the 20 million mark, you know, still taking players out of the championship, for, for example. Mm. But I think one of the best bits of business, I think, is, is basically... Keeping Lewis Dunk, who yeah. I thought was going to be an obvious target for Leicester, 
you know, certainly was last season, and that hasn't come to fruition. I think Lewis Dunk is outstanding. I can't understand quite why he's not more of a regular presence. I still think there's any chance of him. You know, we've got four days left. I know. I don't think there is. I thought there was, if I'm brutally honest, but I've, you know, probably been proved wrong on that one. And I think Lewis Dunk is is now settled and thinking and focused about about Brighton staying there. And I think it's more likely that Tarkowski will go to Leicester or, you know, Leicester even talk of, of, of Nathan Aki as well. But I just think that, that Brighton is a really interesting case in point. Uh, you know, I've, I've sat down and done done a piece with, with Graham Potter and he's a very, very, you know, impressive individual. I think he's, you know, he's he's very ambitious, and I I like to think he he'll do well. I still think that Brighton is slightly worry slightly about them because it's such a sea change. And the other issue is, I'm still not convinced from their business this summer that they've solved the goals problem yeah. and the goals problem. Well, is and the it problem. looks like they're going to go for more pay from uh, Brentford, who's you know, scored yeah. goals in a, in a good progressive team. Is that enough? Um, I think that depends how well they adapt to a change in football. Because, I mean, this is what it comes down to. I mean, I suppose this is where the risk is, not where they hope to solve the problem. But while feeling sympathy for Uton and likes Uton, obviously, I actually I have to say I admire the move they've taken. I think they're a bit of a bellwether for the Premier League and the way it's going in that regard. And I'm talking to people who've dealt with them this summer, the rationale, basically, what they, they were happy with, with Uton to a degree, but I suppose maybe given the type of manager he is, the thinking was they might have got themselves into a situation where they would always have been just staying in the Premier League was enough and kind of consolidating. And they, they're another club, I suppose, that maybe want to move away from that model. And in in this era where the Premier League feels so fixed and a lot of it's about the identity behind the football you play, they want to bring in a more attractive style and move to that modern era. And that's what Potter represents. And it is a, it is a huge risk. But I think I, I do... Admi- ultimately, you don't move forward if you don't do something like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, do, I do respect that. Um, but, but be careful what you wish for sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What about Burnley? We know what we get with Burnley. It's Prudence FC, isn't it, basically? Uh, does Sean Dyche get the support that he deserves? So, basically, I, it's a really difficult one, isn't it? Because I think Sean Dyche is just one of the un- unsung heroes of, of the Premier League. I couldn't believe that Newcastle didn't go. I know. I completely agree with that. And, basically, Burnley you know, wrote a piece about their sort of their budget... And, and last season's budget and the finances and stuff. And the stuff that he does on the player wages, the turnover and the finances is just remarkable. And I just think for him to keep it as fresh as he does, and last season, let's be honest here, in amongst the kind of the Europa League and the Europa League, you know, sort of mishmash, it was a difficult season. And at Christmas, you were thinking, oh dear, is this going to go wrong? So he needs to freshen it up again. It's a really bold move, isn't it? Even what he's done with the goalkeepers, for example, mm. getting rid of Tom Heaton, you know, who, in my view, was the single biggest factor of them escaping relegation and moving towards Nick Pope. And then even sort of saying, Joe Hart, on you go, and we'll bring in, you know, the, the number the, two yeah. from Leeds. Yeah. And so basically, I just think that sort of movement is all that Sean Dyche can do effectively yeah. and that's the biggest sort of thing and it's, it's quite an old change. squad isn't it yeah, yeah. But, but that's what, the situation Burnley are in that's almost I mean, what, what he has to do in the sense that um, it's all, all he can do that, because with, with those sort of teams that always a danger they're kind of hanging around a certain level of the Premier League for so long then they just go stale and there's a, there's a massive drop off so he has to keep trying to freshen it up without having much of the resources to do so so it's such a challenge So, and I suppose moves like that especially with the goalkeeper almost it feels like it's an attempt to do that to kind of keep that chemistry 
a little bit kind of bubbling over, basically. Mm. I, I, I still they, back them to do so. Yeah, and also they brought in Jay Rodriguez, who yeah. actually is quite a typical signing. Yeah, completely, yeah. yeah. In fact, <laughs> that's almost like the most Burnley move this summer, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I suppose that's been a, such a big thing for uh, Dyche as well. So it's the ensuring he has a squad of exactly the right mentality and character. And like, there's no, there's no, I mean, it's not a club that'll ever see a Paul Pogba situation, I suppose. No. Uh, but I, I don't just mean that in terms of the star, the star side of the player, but in terms of actually the mood of the dressing room. Um, but the, again, they're, they're, that's why there's always going to be a danger with Burnley, but while he's there, I think there's just, just enough. Well, they've been really solid in pre-season. Yeah. You know, they beat mm. Nice 6-1 mm. last mm. week. And I think, they will benefit hugely from the fact they're not in the Europa League. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. It, last season was was really fractured by that Europa League campaign, in my view. And I think yeah. the Joe Rodriguez one is an interesting one because, let's be honest here, I think sometimes last season they were a bit predictable with the yeah. two big guys up front. And I just think that just moving, you know, sort of towards Rodriguez, who I think is a good, you know, he's a good Premier League striker. Yeah, yeah. You know, nothing too spectacular beyond that, but that's fine. I think actually gives them something different and something just a, a different option and something different to play with. And every time I think he, Sean Dyche, tweaks it slightly to keep it fresh. And I absolutely, I wouldn't see them involved in anything yeah. untoward at the bottom of the table. Tarkowski's a big one, whether they lose him or keep him. Mm. I do watch this space on that one, I think. OK. What about Chelsea, Migs? Um, you know, we all know it's a new era. What does Frank Lampard need to improve as a coach? <laughs> this is, I mean, this is the thing, and it's, it's, it's why, despite everything going, going on at the club, they're one of the more fascinating teams this season because I still don't really know how good, like, how, how good a manager Frank Lampard is. Mm. Um, and it, we've had, some, basically, <laughs> there's not that much to go off. A season of Derby where he did well, but didn't do spectacularly. I mean, there were some good signs in the football I mean, again, the very fact it's it's been so short a time means you can't judge on that either. But um, I suppose the, the greater value with Lampard, I suppose, is because this is such a, a transitionary time for Chelsea where they're not signing players. Thing Had they got the wrong coach in or kept Sarri, things could go south very quickly. Whereas the great intelligence, the great, the great masterstroke of signing Lampard is it basically gives them a free hit. In that, because it's, it's it's going to be a long time if it, if it ever happens, that crowd will turn against him. So he insulates against that, and it'll give him space as well, I suppose, to learn on the job as well. Because I, I think there is still a huge learning curve for him as well. Mm. But he has got a, you know, a a coaching staff around him who understand yeah. the club. Mm. Three coaches came up from the academy, and on that point, John, um, which of the academy products do you expect to make the biggest impact this season? Oh. That's a, that's a really difficult one because I just I wouldn't say that there's going to be one that's going to emerge from from nowhere. I mean I think that and be an absolute sensation. I've still got massive hopes for, for for Mason Mount. It was quite interesting after after the after the Russia World Cup. You know when England go out. It's a very predictable call from the office. Always interesting, of course. <laughs> um, but basically, it's like please can you can you basically you know. Squad for 2022. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and basically, so I, I then basically get into people, I sort of kind of, whether it be agent, whether it be scout, yeah. whether it be whoever, you know, sort of thing. And do you know what? Of, of the, about the four or five I spoke to, they all put in Mason Mount. Mason Mount is a player with a big future in my mind. Yeah. And I think that that's a really exciting one. But do I think he's going to be a Premier League regular this season? Probably not. So if I had to, p- p- you know, pick one that is really going to benefit from Lampard, and I know this is 
slightly obvious is Hudson Adoy. Yeah. You know, I think Hudson Adoy will be has got so much talent at his disposal. He's a different player from Sancho, who obviously very you know likened to Sancho. Is is, is is you know is more of a shall I say a modern player in the stats mode. You know, Hudson Adoy is perhaps more a bit more dynamic and uh, and exciting in a different way. I, I think they're the future of England, both of them. Yeah. And I just think Hudson Adoy will benefit. I think it's a, such an interesting time for, for Chelsea. Yeah. And I think it's going to be such a breath of fresh air because those kids will get a chance, whether it's a Christensen playing more. It, you know, Loftus Cheek is obviously out for a long time, but you'd like to think that he'll now have an enthusiasm to come back. And all sorts of players sort of kind of coming through. I think it's a great yeah. time. Well, the transformation of the whole identity alone is kind of is fascinating. I mean, this is a club that, let's not forget, is as recently as 16 years ago, completely changed the transfer market and the whole perception of kind of what they are with that, with that summer where they went out and signed basically everyone, Abramovich's first summer. And now, a short time later, and after so long where Abramovich himself wanted a graduate from the academy where so many fans are quite out for it, now they could actually become the ultimate youth promotion team, only <laughs> almost accidentally and because of been forced into this situation. But... Um, it could bizarrely actually, despite all the trophies they won at that time, make for a kind of weirdly more content Chelsea um, and kind of almost well, it's a very different club. Yeah. Let's look at Crystal Palace. Uh, seventh year in the Premier League. They seem to me to be one of those clubs who might be running out of a bit yeah. of steam. What do you yeah. think? I can see that. I also think that Wilfred Zaha will be an issue for them. I think, um, simply because it's rare, and it is comparatively rare, when a player makes it so abundantly clear that he wants to leave. Wilfred Zaha is, frankly, the most exciting player at the club. You know, he's he's the fans' favourite. I almost feel like saying that basically every club should have a Wilfred Zaha, simply because he's that player of fantasy and imagination. And, like, sometimes it doesn't really fit into the structure of the team. And Roy Hodgson is definitely a manager who wants a structure to a team. But it gives them something different. And I think managing a player who suddenly said, I want to be playing Champions League football... He's going to be a difficult task, you know, when he comes back. And is he going to be fully at it? And it's a challenge. And I think that is, you know, because without without Zaha, Palace are a different team. Mm-hmm. And I thought at times last season, they were a bit sort of kind of static, a bit predictable, a bit too defensive. And, you know, it will be an interesting season. And when when everyone picks their teams to go down, I don't think anyone would have Palace in that, Three. Why? Because of Roy Hodgson. And Roy Hodgson is a steady Premier space. League manager. Watch this space. Yeah, <laughs> well, I know. And I, I hear what you're saying, Mike. And well, we know what's coming then, don't we? <laughs> but it's just... I, I, I just think that basically Roy... I think Palace won't go down under Roy Hodgson. Mm. But equally, do Palace want a little bit more excitement? The Palace fans that I speak to do. Mm. And you know, Roy Hodgson is 71 after all. Yeah. It's a young man's game by common consent. Do you think he's got enough in him to do yet another season? Because he's got nothing left to prove. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And well, there have been a few murmurs from his end that he's been unhappy with their business so far. And I think they, given, the, given the rest of the market, it has, and not, even beyond the sale of Wambasaka and potential sale of Zaha, I think it's been not been too invigorating uh, what they've done this summer. Um, I, I, I actually, I'd nearly put them in that bottom tree. Mm. I think. Outvoted, uh, <laughs> mate. Yeah. <laughs> no, fair enough. Yeah. What about Everton? Uh, I think in Moisey Ken, they've 
I thought it's a fantastic song. I can't believe that Juventus let him go with, without a sell on even. Amazing. Mm. Absolutely amazing. Everyone in Italy said, like, basically, when this first emerged, don't be daft. That's yeah. not going to happen. And then basically it was quickly followed with, well, that'll include a clause or a sell-on or whatever it might be. Well, Everton is sort of champion of the fact about the sort of the, the very clean structure of the deal, if you like. And it is a coup. And I think it, it sort of represents the fact that Everton are sort of building and going in the right direction, going places. And I think Marco Silva, I still think he's got much to prove. Yeah, absolutely. And last season was... A- very up and down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think this season is all about kind of Marco Silva. Please step forward. Will the real Marco Silva stand up? But I think yeah. if Everton, I still think there might be interest in, in, you know, a little bit, doing a little bit more business before the window shuts. Mm-hmm. But I think Everton are a fairly good place. And yeah. so I think they'll be looking upwards. But mind you, that, yeah, a bit more business might be a problem given that even the can move shows the uh, the connection that Riola has to that club already. That in there, which has moved there. But yeah, I mean, they've, they've I think, pretty drastically upped the quality of the squad as well. So that's encouraging in itself. Is that a top set squad? I suppose it depends whether United, Chelsea, and Arsenal, maybe Spurs, given how they ended last season. Um, I suppose how do you respond to the second half of last season I still think the top six will have I mean it's a bigger discussion that mm. but I still think the top six just by pure weight and numbers will get too many points for all the rest of the kind of the pretenders mm. what about Leicester because I've got a sneaking you know they're 300 to 1 for the title which is you know great odds when you consider it was 5,000 to 1 the other, <laughs> you know, the other year um, are they the surprise team of the season do you think yes mm. and it's a hell of a job finding or figuring out who might miss out. But I think Leicester will crack top six. I think that Leicester have done some really good business. I know Tillemans was on loan there last season, but to get him permanent when the bigger clubs were circling, I think is good business. I think Brendan Rodgers will get his claws into a lot of their younger players this season. I think Madison will only improve under Rodgers. I think Rodgers is outstanding as a coach, I really do. And even though they're about to lose Harry Maguire and they're not necessarily going to replace him, I think they will go for, for players to replace him, but if they can't get the right ones, then they won't. Then basically, I still think that that will mean that it won't mean a devastating blow for Leicester. Yeah. Because I think Maguire is part of the team rather than yeah. the team. Mm. And I, I think Leicester are going places. Yeah. Well, you look at really the young do. players there, Chilwell. Yeah, and Didi Pereira as well as Pereira. Mm. Tielemans is only yeah. young. That's a, a grey. Yeah, that's a really good squad. Young it's, squad. it's really exciting. And that's the thing. I mean, from, I, I was thinking even with the Maguire thing, he's a good player, but that's an absolute no-brainer for Leicester. You know, the amount of money they're getting in for a player that, as you say, just isn't essential to how they work. You know, he's, he's a good piece, but he's a replaceable piece. Uh, they've got more money. They can invest more, and it's just into what. I mean, there is an argument that pound for pound, bar maybe City and Liverpool, obviously is, but, we, but even from that, Leicester are maybe the best-run club in the league at the moment. And, and even, as he, I think Rodgers, it's also, it's the right profile of squad for Rodgers as well. I think it all fits together very, very well. And yeah, they are exciting. Um, and I probably, I, I, I still think, they will, I don't think they'll break top six, but I think they'll go closer than anyone else. I, they'd be my seventh, certainly. Mm-hmm. You were both at, at Wembley yesterday, at Liverpool. They looked a little bit undercooked, did they need the impetus of another signing this summer? I don't think it's essential, actually, um, in the sense that, I mean, you, always there's that argument, it's the classic Ferguson argument that, you know, when you're going well, bring in more to keep it going. 
But I suppose Klopp's wider argument is that the team is, he has the team exactly as he wants it. Even like forever, there's the argument about whether they should kind of improve the midfield and maybe add more creativity. But then I suppose the type of midfield they have complements the attack now. So it all works well now. And this is a team that, given their points all last season, they are pretty close to perfect. Um, but then the issue is actually keeping up Man City. But I think that's my, I think that's why Klopp might be right. And also, I suppose he's, he's well, not gambling. But his assessment is also that there'll be enough improvement from what's there that Kate has had a one full season. They expected better from him. Oxide chamberlain like a new signing, basically. Uh, and then also, I suppose, maybe the impetus of players like uh, Rian Brewster. Um, so I, I wouldn't be too down on the fact they didn't sign anyone. Um, and also, I was actually really impressed by the sheer doggedness and perseverance they showed yesterday. They did look undercooked. They look like they have some way to go to get fit. And yet, through the mentality in that team... They actually, they kind of, they really forced City back by the end. It was, it was really impressive in its own way. Mm. I suppose the question is that, you know, Liverpool start their season against Norwich on Friday night. Mm. Will they end the season as champions? I think what is absolutely obvious, and I was just trying to say in my match report this morning, was that basically the champions will come from one of those two teams. Yeah. They, they are so far ahead of the rest. I think Spurs are the ones that, that basically, you know, uh, could possibly bridge that, that huge gap between uh, those two and the rest. But I just think that Liverpool, the one, one aspect that would slightly concern me is they've had so many players away this summer that at some stage I wonder how, if it's going to affect Mane, if it's going to affect Salah, um, you know, Firmino as well. And they're so reliant on that, that front three. Um, and I think now sort of Sturridge is gone. You know, Origi looked lost on the left yesterday. He's more of a central player, isn't he? Um, I, I just think that 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 you know, Brewster. I really, you know, Klopp thinks so highly of Brewster. He's putting so much faith in him. Mm. But do they have that kind of backup? But I do think that I, I felt last season. I actually tipped Liverpool for the title last season, just on the basis largely of of basic Man City in the Champions League. I'm not sure that you can do both. Mm. I know clubs have done it. But the Premier League is so demanding right now that I just think that, that Liverpool's sort of kind of hook into the title will be the same again. Mm. If Man City's disappointment of missing out in the Champions League last season makes them even more determined to go for it this season, which I think it will, by the way, that's, well. that's the chink of light in <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, well, with, with Manchester City and, and Guardiola, does Guardiola need to win the Champions League with Manchester City to fulfil his job description oh, maybe we wouldn't quite got that far given they've now had two absolutely historic seasons you know a centurion campaign and then the first ever domestic treble so he's made history at City and that's even allowing for the huge resources the club has he's been a success but I suppose given everything that's built up for that club basically this is a club that's effectively designed for Pep Guardiola maybe you know in terms of historic legacy people maybe do expect perfection. And perfection, as you say, I suppose, fulfilling every requirement would be taking them to the Champions League and making them what they, what they want to be, despite so much acrimony among the fans about UEFA and all that, to be kind of Europe's premier club. I, I do think they were the best team in Europe the last two seasons, but obviously a cup competition like the Champions League doesn't necessarily always fulfil that. Um, but it's, got, it's going to be very interesting. that Because I, I, he does seem to have himself have a, a little bit of a neurosis about the Champions League. And that it caused him to make to make funny decisions that he wouldn't make at home, or sorry, he wouldn't make it in the league. Um, but I, 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 I actually think they'll win the league by about five or six points this year. 
Okay, but there's a nice little rivalry building up, isn't there, mm. between them and Liverpool. Mm. Uh, was Klopp right in highlighting what he called their fantasy money? Well, it's quite interesting listening to Guardiola yesterday. I made it a very pertinent and pointed comment that we couldn't afford Harry Maguire. Um, yeah, I mean, we could debate and debate and debate about City. I just think the interesting thing for me is that City, when we talk about big biggest transfers of, of of the world, they're not really in in the in the ballpark. They sign big players for big money, but not the. Do you, do you not think that's thing? a strategic intention, though? Because because of the because of the arguments. About, yes. Yeah. Well, I do. I probably do. But it did make yeah. me laugh because listen, I, I sort of spoke to to you know sort of people around La Liga. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, early in the summer, and they were saying. You know, they're incredibly critical of the Premier League and also Manchester City in particular yeah. because of the spending. And and you just think, well, actually, then then Real Madrid go and, you know, yeah. kind of smash it all by going and signing mm. Eden Hazard and taking away the Premier League's best player. But it's just, I, I just think that, that sort of City, their, their big one this summer has been Rodri. We've still got a sort of a fullback to come, haven't we, that, that basically probably get done. And Rodri... Will probably take some, uh, you know, getting used to of 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 English football. But the most obvious one for me was that they need another centre half in my view. Yeah, and I'm surprised at that. I think that could be their Achilles. And they looked a bit loose yesterday as well. Rodri, yeah, 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 and and the defence, yes, absolutely. You're going back to Otamendi, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And I just think I like Stones, but I'm not sure that Otamendi is the future. But at least you can see a strategy there. Can you see a strategy at Manchester United? No, I think that's that's ultimately what it keeps coming back to at Manchester United. And if you look, one of the reasons that Liverpool and City are so far ahead is they're two clubs in different ways and for different reasons, but, for, but ultimately the same end result. Both of them basically have a, a very defined way of playing. And it means that when they go to the market alone, they mitigate all mistakes and maximise their football because within five minutes of looking at a player now, he fits into what we want to do. And you can see that in the business, particularly with Liverpool in terms of signing Van Dijk, Alisson, um, and how they've generally conducted it. And now same with City and Rodri, and even if they were to sign a centre-half. Whereas Manchester United, what, what's the style of play? And even, there's a lot of talk about how the way Solskjaer wants to play, but you know, we're not really seeing that from a kind of bottom-up view of the club. So it means, first of all, every signing feels like a reaction to what's come before, rather than kind of something looking forward as part of a plan. Um, and you can't get away from the fact, I suppose, in, in terms of that, at Liverpool, it was ultimately really Klopp that defined that way of playing even though maybe they put it in place. City, Guardiola, the philosophy is articulated around him, but it preceded him because ultimately they aim for him. Who's making a decision at Manchester United? It basically looks like Ed Woodward, who for all, this is something that's come before, of course, but for all his business acumen, shouldn't really be making football decisions in that regard. Um, and you know, there was all the talk about technical departments that we still haven't seen appoint, appointment even of a technical director. And yeah, it's just, it just seems a bit, they're a club badly in need of some sort of blueprint. Mm. And also the money that they've already spent, and some would say wasted. Look, look at if Alexis Sanchez fulfills that four and a half year contract, mm, yeah. he will have earned before bonuses eighty one point nine million pounds. The money doesn't add up at Manchester United. What should we see in the next four days that gives you some hope that they will actually make a challenge? Can I be really controversial here? Yeah, go for it. I'm I'm going to praise Manchester United's transfer <laughs> policy this summer. <laughs> Something you never thought you'd hear me saying. But I'd say that because I think, right, that basically Edward Wood, yes, is the focal point and basically beneath is, is scouting. I get 
I get that. But Edward would, would always take the, you know, the kind of brickbats. But, you know, and, and sometimes rightly so, you know, the Mourinho dog days was a disaster, wasn't it? I mean, Sanchez, I mean, it's an absolute car crash. I mean, why? Why, oh, why? You do some digging, you find that Sanchez was definitely on the way down at Arsenal. It was a, yeah. it was a shocking deal. A shocking deal that has basically, you know, left them with, with other problems. But the reason why I think, actually, their dealings have been good is that they've definitely got problems in defence. So they sign Aaron Wambasaka, you know, 45, 50 million quid. They sign Harry Maguire, which will go through, basically, again, 80, 85 million quid. And then basically, you know, Dan James, you know, comes in from, from Swansea, more modest. But in that, they've signed three young British players for the best part of 150 million quid. Out of nowhere, they've got some British identity. They've got some sort of formula in the way that the team is going to be structured. So you've immediately got a better back four. You're looking to sign up David De Gea, who a lot of people argue is no longer the world's best because his style is, you know, is perhaps outdated. And I'd, I'd go along with that. I think the biggest thing is the doubt in midfield. Paul Pogba, does he really want to be there? Well, he said not. So that's a massive issue. But what do you do? Do, do you basically just give up on the player? And sell him for under his value. You can't do that. And so it will be a messy issue because you can bet your bottom dollar. And this is why I think Premier League clubs are stupid. But Man United didn't want yeah. to do this. They shut the window before the you know before the season starts. Well, Man United voted against it. Yeah. And I mean, I just think that that that's an absolute car crash. Lukaku is surplus to requirements. Could well go to Inter. But then, you know, so Mandzukic comes in as the, as the backup option, if you like. Mandzukic is made for the Premier League. Yeah. So I just think, in, in balance and in fairness, it's an interesting season. They cannot, they cannot afford to give up on Solskjaer. And I don't think they will, by the way, after, you know, a bad couple of months, two or three months at the start of the season. They've got to give him time because that's the United way and they've got to get back to that. And the fact that they're buying British talent for a lot of money is something that I think Shows says to me the indications are they're trying to get back there. The, the one thing about that, I'm going to be equally controversial, mm. or maybe it's not that controversial. <laughs> there, there, there is an argument, I'm not saying I agree with it, but there is actually a logical argument that Solskjaer is the worst manager, manager in the Premier League, that he has the, the worst CV, he's, has the, there's the biggest gap between what he's done and actually being a Premier League manager. And I mean, ultimately, it, it is actually remarkable that Manchester United, one of the biggest clubs on the planet, and the key appointment at the club comes from a league that is ranked, I think, around 25th, 26th in Europe, around Armenia's. That, 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 that's where his success has been. And like when you actually step back, that's, that's a bizarre situation. Um, so I just, I just think there's, there's so many questions about them. Mm. Um, but it's familiarity with club culture. And on that point... What does that, what does that mean, though? Well, no, yeah. That's what I'm just about to ask, actually, yeah. because if you look at Newcastle, <laughs> yeah. you've got you know, Steve Bruce going yeah. back there, you know, War Steve and you know, the Geordie lad and all that. Well, one, they're probably going to reject him, the fans, anyway, initially. Well, they have, haven't they? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and secondly, you've still got this schism, which is going on. You know, Rafa had to go back at Mike Ashley over the weekend. How on earth do Newcastle have any sort of cohesion within that group? Well, I just think it's going to be a very, very difficult way forward. Yeah. And I think that the, the bigger issue, and I think this is part of the problem for Steve Bruce... 
And I have, I have to say, I've been a bit surprised about the level of backlash against Steve Bruce, bearing in mind, you know, yeah. his affinity with the club and, you know, his long-held ambition. And I get the fact that basically 10 years ago it might have been different. I get all that and I understand that. But, but basically, I think that the fan backlash comes from the fact that Steve Bruce is seen as the holding pattern, isn't he? And why is the holding pattern in position? It's because Mike Ashley still wants to sell the club and he's still doing the bare minimum, if you like, despite bigger signing, you know, basically to, to get ready to sell the club as a, as a Premier League going concern because that's, that's where he is at the yeah. moment. And while Newcastle are in this position, it's difficult to see them making any sort of steps forward and they're just going to tread water. Newcastle will view, unfortunately... This coming season, if it hasn't changed hands, the ownership of the club, fourth from bottom, as a good season. Yeah, which is really. I was thinking about this actually last week, and we, we, we really put it in context. Newcastle are a club that have existed for 127 years now. So 12 years of that, 10% of their entire history of one of England's great clubs, one of the, one of, one of the cities where probably football is going to be most an outlet, has been subject to the whims of one man. It's, it's actually, it's, it's, sometimes you have to take a step back and think she's well. How has football got into this situation where a kind of a, a social institution like that has been allowed get into this situation where it, it's it, it is worth reflection I think that, and we've just seen so much waste there so much frustration kind of the fans obviously and there is also an element of I'll just throw the fans a bone so yeah. for instance with, with um, you know Alan um, uh, Alan Sam Maximin mm. 22 million from Nice amazing dribbly player no end product. You speak to anyone at Nice, they talk about him turning out for training half an hour late with his bandana yeah. and his jacket and everything else. They've given him a six-year contract. He won't last six months. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, and their business has been... Also, that's another thing as well, in the sense that they've gone from these somewhere suddenly, like in 2012, where, or sorry, 2011, where they, they suddenly make a flurry of signings and it looks good, to then this extreme kind of frugality over a few years. And like, that's it. It's just basically... There's so much the club that doesn't really make sense by the fact that Ashley has basically had to, has them mm. permanently primed for a sale, but it just means that it's they're kind of going nowhere. Yeah. yeah. When when does Maybe. someone step in and, and, and remove this malaise? Because that that football club is the heartbeat of that city. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's like it's a bit a bit of a cliche to say, it, but I mean, whenever you go there, it's just a magical place to go. Mm. I went and did sort of Newcastle, Man City. Um, when Newcastle beat Man City and it, frankly it looked as if they'd knocked the champions off their perch and ended their title yeah. hopes. It was one of the most memorable nights. Mm. Those fans deserve better. They really do. Yeah. It's a shocker. And in its own way, I think Norwich is a very similar... You know, it, it's a club which belongs to the city. Yeah. And, you know, huge season ticket holder base. They are, they've been promoted on a certain strategy. You've got Stu Webber as their sporting director who oversees everything. And probably Izzy Miggs, the example that the rest of the other Premier League clubs should follow. Should there be people like Stu Webber in every Premier League? Yeah, and I suppose even that kind of follows on, I suppose, what we would have pointed in the past, about five years ago now, what West Brom were doing for a while, what um, Swansea were doing for a while. And he chose the value of that kind of structure. I mean, there is an argument, I suppose, that basically just changes the issue of the manager. I mean, one of the reasons managers became head coaches because it was the whole idea you don't entrust 
your, your, your entire philosophy to someone who could only stay here for two or three years. Whereas that might be true now instead with directors of football. Uh, they just move the problem on. But I suppose the idea is that a director of football like Weber actually instills something a bit more longer lasting. But yeah, completely. And they, I mean, in terms of what we're talking about there with Manchester United and Liverpool and City, Norwich have shown that on a, on a lower scale and have got greater results out of it. Mm. Do you think Norwich will survive? So it's been very much a holding pattern. You know, they, they've yeah. got the, the promoted team they've rewarded with extended contracts. They've brought in a couple of players who are known to Daniel Farker, the manager, because of Germany. Pretty sensible stuff. It is, and uh, I mean, a, a regular on, the, on this on this in this parish, basically. Jonathan Northcroft did a really nice piece yesterday in the Sunday Times on, on, on Weber and the philosophy, um, you know, and kind of I like that attitude about basically sort of. Weber's sort of mantra was basically we've got to take away the the, the, the feeling that, that Norwich are doing people a favour by employing them and sort of, you know, sort of kind of the players should be, you know, players feel like Norwich should be grateful. It should be something to be proud of to play for Norwich because that, that <laughs> if you go to Carrow Road, it is something of a cauldron. They're incredibly enthusiastic. I do worry about, I understand the sort of the logic behind it. And Pukki, I think, you know, they're putting a great deal of faith in Pukki in scoring goals. Max Ahrens was a big signing for them, basically a new contract when there was so much interest in him. Outstanding player. I'm convinced he'll play for England somewhere along the line. Um, but I just, I, I do worry about the lack of <coughs> Premier League experience. That would, that would be my thing. I think that they are going to be the ones that, almost do a Cardiff like they were last season. So they're basically right on the edge all season. And don't get me wrong, finishing fourth from bottom would be a great result for Norwich last season. But I think it's going to be a season-long struggle. I really, really hope that they make it, not least because I've got family who live in Norwich and it's great. <laughs> I always love going and visiting Norwich and seeing them along the way. But I just it's a really nice, you know, it's a good club. It's one of those things that we always forget that they basically spent so much time in the 70s and 80s in the top flight. Mm. I'd like to see them back and, and sort of staple diets again. What about Sheffield United? A similar question, really. Do you think they'll survive? No, I just don't think they have enough. Um, I mean, again, it's impressive what they've done. Um, it's a little bit like Huddersfield in the sense that you think you can kind of... I like everything about how they've gone about things, like the manager, and yeah, I just... I, I don't think they've got enough quality, and I think it's just to be too much, too much of a, too much of a leap. I didn't massively surprise me to say it, I have to say. Yeah, it it, it reminds me very much of Blackpool, <laughs> where Blackpool went at it. You know, they lost, the, they, they they went down in the last day of the season yeah. at Old Trafford. If you remember, they had a good go, but eventually the lack of quality yeah, caught up. Yeah. Them. Is that the same? You think? Yeah, I think it's going to be a long struggle for for Sheffield United. I mean, I think you were there, Mike, but basically I'd like to take us back to the the, the end of season. I think you know what's coming. The end of season <laughs> League Managers Association. Were you there? No. And basically awards night and Chris Wilder, the Sheffield United boss, basically got on stage I, I, I'm really impressed with Chris Wilder, so I'm not going to knock him. But basically, shall we say, he might have been a little bit merry when he did. <laughs> yes. And then, then basically, you know, but it only made the speech better, frankly, because he got up there and banged the drum for British managers and British players and doing things the British way. And I tell you what, I think he will say that all season. Mm. 
and it felt like in this current oh <laughs> yeah. my god what a you know social and political mix we've got going on with brexit and it felt like he was sort of banging the drum for sort of britishness really and we could talk about that all day we better not get into that but uh, basically um you know it he will. It will be an inter- entertaining ride because I think he's very good for a quote, very good for a soundbite. But he will, I think, base his whole philosophy, his team, his squad, and all the setup on Britishness and basically trying to survive that way and proving everybody wrong. Okay, so with due deference to Chris Wilder, let's talk about Ralph Hasselhoffel at Southampton. I actually think one of the best managers in the league. I, I, I think they're going to surprise. But after Leicester, they may be kind of my. Uh, my surprise team for the season. I think they finished top ten, and I think you get a response to a lot of the players. I was really impressed with the way they finished last season, and I'm actually quite looking forward to watching them. Mm. You agree? I do. Mm. I like Southampton, and I think when you go down there, and I did sort of after Hassan Hootel took over, um, went and did a you know couple of interviews down there, and basically speaks to players, and it's like it was like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. I just think the club had gone a little bit stale with. You know, I think Mark Hughes is a decent Premier League manager, but it was just done for survival and it ran yeah. out of steam and it just gone a bit of stale. I think he deserved a little bit more respect than he was given, actually, when he eventually went. But then basically, Hasna Hootel is back there to make Southampton trendy again, watchable again, high energy again. And I think, like, like Miguel, I like going to watch them. And I think Hasna Hootel, we quickly forget just what a good manager yeah. he is because he was on the radar of bigger clubs. Yeah. Absolutely he was. And I think Southampton, it was something of a coup to get him. And I think that he'll get Southampton back into the top yeah. half. But look at, the, look at the effect of one player alone, Shane Long, who mm. heard stories about him as recently as kind of February, March. He was training with Ireland and his confidence was completely shot. He could barely hit, hit a target in kind of shooting practice in, in sessions. Um, whereas now, within two months, he actually looked like kind of a player with a kind of real fire about him okay? he's back scoring goals including the quickest in Premier League history and like it seemed to already he really suited Hassan Hootl's approach to kind of pressing to the way his attack moves mm-hmm. uh, yeah and I'm, I'm really encouraged by them let's talk about another former Southampton manager Mauricio Pochettino mm. uh, his frustrations he, he uses press conferences brilliantly doesn't yeah. he to actually get he's get a Mourinho like actually in that way yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, has he got a point? And, you know, basically, Tottenham, as per usual, are hostage to fortune, to Daniel Levy's machinations. <laughs> Look, I thought they'd do a bit more. I still think they'll get Sessegnon. Um, but I, I think Ndombele is going to be a really good player for the Premier League, made for the Premier League. I mean, he's, you know, his physicality, his power, his pace, it'll be great. And I think it will give them a bit more energy in midfield um, that they lack since Dembélé left. Um, but I, as I say, I thought they'd do a bit more. The one thing is that I, I think that is very, very pointed remarks, Pochettino. He's got to be careful how, how often he uses them, how often yeah. he dips into them. Because they're gold dust for us, don't get yeah. me wrong. So I'm not, <laughs> please carry on, Maurizio. But actually, for running a football club efficiently, I I think he's, you know, he, he's he's arguably the best of the lot in terms of managers. Yeah. If he's not, then he's certainly third behind the top two. And I just think he's an outstanding manager. But at the moment, he's struggling to disguise his disdain at not being able to freshen up more. Because my impression was, at the end of last season, he wanted to shake up the fullbacks. Yeah. He wanted to shake up the midfield. He wanted to shake up the kind of 
the attack midfield, if, if you like, to supply. And you need a different option for, for Harry Kane. You really do. And what's he done? And yeah. why is that? That's not his choice, I don't think. I think it, I think it was partly in previous windows because he finds yeah, it yeah, so difficult yeah. to offload and yeah. say goodbye to players. He's so loyal. But I think this window, I think he's found it frustrating. And apparently he's, he, he's doing well to his he, he changes his mind a lot as well, which I think they found difficult. The one thing about his press comments, I would say with him as well, and I, but I completely agree he's frustrated, but I do get a sense as well that there's an element of a kind of a, an old married couple between him and Levy as well. Because they, they get on so well. They've kind of been to, so together in this kind of improved project. And I you go on holiday together to all these kind of new age camps and all this sort of thing with, with healing crystals or whatever. But, but I think it does mean that maybe Pochino can say things that seem outlandish in press conferences and Levy can to a degree accept them and kind of like, they don't have the same power as they would maybe with other coaches who could potentially almost get themselves sacked with such comments because they, they seem such an affront. There's kind of a more, there's kind of something deeper with, with Pochettino. We, I completely agree about the team. I think and it, that's always a frustration with Spurs now. You always feel with two or three signings, they could really make the next step and really push on as well as they've done. And they just never quite do it. There's always that kind of conservatism there. Mm. Talking of next steps, Watford, but mm. it's softly, softly as per usual. What is their logical next step? Because obviously when they got to the FA Cup final, they were you know, absolutely mullered, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what else you're going to say then. But uh, it's really difficult because I do think that Watford last season had such a good season. Yeah. And then basically, you know, really good in the league table, uh, really good results. Um, you know, they're going places going places under Harry Grazia and basically it felt like reaching the FA Cup final I don't think few people actually thought they were going to win yeah. it, but it was almost like a point in time and you thought actually this is recognition they're going to be huge outsiders they'll probably lose but this is recognition of a club which you know let's be fair here a lot of us have basically sort of said I'm not sure about the revolving door manager policy and is that right? It doesn't feel comfortable. didn't sit comfortably with me, I have to say. And, and yet, you know, other clubs survive and thrive on it, Chelsea being a prime example. But I, because of the, the FA Cup final result, it felt like, oh, what a letdown. And it almost feels like they've got to go again. Yeah. But I just think that Grazio has got something. And I do think that he will look at it and basically make tweaks, make changes. But I, it, 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 they proved to be very, very clever and shrewd at getting mm. good players for decent prices and then improving them. And Grazia, I think that step that they've taken has been Grazia improving those players because yeah. he's a good coach. Which, which, which actually begs the question because that, that business plan at Watford is double-edged. Yeah. You go in there and you do well. If you're a player, you get your move. If you're a manager like Grazia, you will become... Very, very attractive. And you could see him going back to Spain in yeah. a big job, couldn't you? Yeah, completely. And he said, despite the end result, he's had a kind of showpiece occasion, which may, I suppose, a lot come to England for, because it's the visibility as much as anything. Uh, I, again, I think, like, like Hassan Hootley, he's one of, kind of those managers I think is in the better strand of the Premier League. Every, like just kind of progress and improvement and everything he touches. And, and just the, the only issue with him there is, I suppose, as you mentioned, is that there's maybe a slight ceiling at Watford about what they've done, especially given the moves that... Everton, Leicester and Wolves have made, which may be kind of the bigger problem in that regard, like, and West Ham as well, that could maybe just see them so he squeezed out of the top ten where you would otherwise fancy them to finish. Yeah. Talking of West Ham, they've got recruitment, it seems, this summer, right. 
Yes, absolutely. I'll tell you the player that I'm really, of, of their signings, the ones that I'm really looking forward to is Fornells. Yeah. Just because I think a few clubs have had a little nibble and a look and scouted him extensively and they've gone, you know, for it. And I think he's a good player. I think he's, you know, I think he'll do well for them. I think they started the summer really well. With the, I know I'm a bit of a kick geek, but I think, I thought that the start of the summer, they go, okay, we're launching the new kit. It's a throwback to, to history. Yes, we all know about the London Stadium. It could have been done better. They probably learnt lessons from it. But actually, they've listened to some old-fashioned fans yeah. and thought, actually, we're going to do this slightly different. And if they've done that, and I think they have, they deserve a huge amount of credit. And I think that they are... If last season we looked at the kind of the lights of Everton... Yeah. Wolves um, and, and the rest sort of basically is the teams to push on up. I think it will be West Ham this season in amongst that cluster. Mm-hmm. I think they're, they're a team to watch. And they've and done think, well, haven't they? they? Doing well. And they've done well in terms of not who they've just signed, but also who they've kept. Yeah, completely. So, yeah, yeah. you know, Diop, um, you know, Declan Rice. Yeah. They'll probably, they've probably gone to them and said, look, just give us another season. Yeah. I, I mean, everything about the actual team is good now, right? Up to the manager, he's no longer maybe one of the kind of top managers in the world when he was when he won the title or was with Real Madrid but he's a really kind of good manager has them quite well drilled um, yeah and it's given like let's be fair a year and a half ago this was a club that seemed like in sham- everything about it was wrong um, and yet it's been turned around quite quickly which I suppose shows the potential of the club but I did, I did hear a story about um, just in the summer quite early on when um, uh, one of the chairmen wanted to sign Daniel Sturridge and I, I kind of, you know, and there was, there was talk, I suppose, about the way, the way it was put ultimately, and we, we know well, he's someone that basically is sold on names, but was persuaded about kind of, how, well, let's be a bit smarter about recruitment. And that, that's, that's what they've done, essentially. Mm-hmm. Recruitment is integral to Wolves' development, mm. you know, for, for reasons we all know. Um, Nuno, 100 games at Wolves. Mm. 56 wins, took him to seventh last season. Again, one of these foreign managers who's excelled in the Premier League. Yeah, and I think it's a challenging, difficult season ahead. And I make that point because when you do as well as Wolves did in their first season in the Premier League back, where do you go from there? How do you improve upon that? Because that's a hell of an ask, isn't it, basically, to go from seventh into the top six. And also, by the way, the added pressure of, of... Europa League, which I really hope they make into, I'm sure they will, um, into the group stages. But it is demanding, and I think that that's the battle ahead. You know, again, they've sort of kind of cherry-picked some some signings, haven't they, that hopefully (laughs) have, you know, might have sort of improved the squad a little bit, and they've come from particular areas. But I I think Wolves is one of those clubs that I'm sort of in love with the romance of that. And I really like that. And I like the fact that they're back in and they're not breaching any rules. And so everyone else kind of, you know, basically does what they can. And so why not? And I think it's quite enticing. But where I think is, and, you know, Burnley had it last season and sort of kind of even, it's sort of why I also think actually Southampton, if you remember that, when they got in the mm-hmm. new Oprah qualifiers, that derailed them a little bit. I mean, even going back to kind of the, the, the days when Ipswich, if you remember them, they sort of finished, you know, in the, the upper echelons of the Premier League and then sort of got into Europe and it all fell horribly yeah. apart. You've got to be careful of that. I think, it, I think mid-table and a decent run in the Europa League 
is a really good season and people shouldn't judge then from going from 7th to 10th as backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just different and I think it's a challenge. Yeah. But I think in Nuno, they've got one of the super smart managers in the, in the Premier League. OK, I want to pull it all together and look at our own predictions. But first, let's talk about a little, you know, fairly briefly about, you know, BT commissioned a lot of data about what the predictions will be, you know, analytic predictions for the season. I'll give you a, a bit of a flavour of it and then we can just res respond off the back of that. So, according to the uh, the geeks, mm -hmm. sorry guys, uh, <laughs> Man City win the league for the third season, beating Liverpool by six points. Yes, you said that. Yeah. <laughs> Arsenal and Man United miss out on the top four, finishing one point short of Chelsea in a race that goes down to the last day. Newcastle, Norwich, Sheffield United relegated. Aston Villa finished 15th. This is the one I don't agree with at all. No English club makes it past the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Liverpool and Chelsea both lose in the quarterfinals. So I'll get the ball rolling with my predictions. As I said in the intro, football's a tale of the unexpected. My top four, Manchester City, Liverpool, Tottenham, Leicester. Ooh. Oof. Yours? I was going to go top three, obviously those, and... Arsenal, just to think. It's up between Arsenal and Chelsea, but they're going to go Arsenal. Well, honestly, I've been beating myself up about it, and it's. It, I do think it will be Man City, Liverpool, Tottenham, and then it really is so difficult between the rest. But I, I for me, it's either Chelsea or Man U. I'm going to having having praised United's policy. I'll, I'll I'm going to go Man United. <sighs> Right, see them get that through the computer, but there we go. <laughs> okay, relegated. Mm. With some regrets, I'm going to say Brighton, Crystal Palace, and Sheffield United. Okay, I'm going to say Sheffield United, uh, Newcastle. Yeah. I'm afraid, um, and I do. It, it, I think it's going to be a really hard season, but I do. I've, unfortunately, I'll, I'll have to say Norwich. I say Sheffield United, Newcastle, and Palace. Okay, so the last one really is the billion dollar question. Who wins the Champions League? I think Man City will win it and I think they'll probably beat Juventus in the final. Yeah, I, I, frankly, I do think Man City will win the Champions League this season. I think they'll be so hell-bent on it. And I do think that potentially might impact on my previous um, <laughs> um, tip that basically they'll win the Premier League as well. I think it's so hard to win both. I think City at times, are just the best team, uh, I think, in, in Europe. And, they're, they're, you know, fan, fabulous under, under Guardiola. Second best team in Europe, Liverpool. Um, I think Juventus will have problems. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not too sure about their recruitment, despite the uh, I think City are the best team in Europe. But I think, again, Guardiola will cause problems for himself unnecessarily, even though he's probably the best manager in Europe. Uh, and I go Barcelona to win it. They'll eventually get it right after two collapses. OK. Well... Data is vitally important, but sometimes just got to let the heart rule the head. Enjoy your season. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast.
The late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 